So let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come to you this night. We come to you this night, Lord, in faith, and in hope, and in love. Lord, we ask to be immersed more deeply this night in your heart, in your heart of mercy. We ask you, Lord, to cast away any doubt from our minds or any doubt from our hearts that doesn't believe in your mercy, that might refuse to accept your mercy. We pray, Lord, this night that your grace would just open our hearts, that you could flood us with your mercy and with your love. And Mary, as always, we ask you for your motherly intercession, for your motherly protection upon us, now and all the days of our life, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It seems that every generation is defined, or has a defining moment in their history. My grandparents would always talk about December 7th, 1941. It's obviously the day of the Pearl Harbor attacks. And it would be interesting that every time that date would come up or if something would come up on TV, I always remember my grandparents sort of having this, almost going into this sort of deep recollection, this remembrance about where they were when that morning, when that day happened. And for my parents' generation, it seemed like that day was November 22nd, 1963. It was the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. My parents always talk about that moment, a sort of a defining moment for their generation. And it seems like for my generation, that is between the ages of 40 and 25, 36, in case you're wondering. <laughs> that way you won't get distracted by trying to figure out how old I am. I know I look like I'm 23, but really it's 36. But it seems like for my generation, the defining moment was the morning of September 11th. 2001. I was a senior in college that morning. I had just started visiting the Friars in New York City. And we have two Friaries in the Bronx. And both of those Friaries are located right behind a firehouse. And we have this great relationship with the firemen. They come over to our Friary, we go over to their firehouse. And we had this wonderful, beautiful friendship. And that morning of September 11th, it seemed like just in a moment, the whole world was in a panic. And that firehouse came running over to the friary. And Father Bob, one of our priests, answered the door. And they were all there explaining what had just happened. 
And they were explaining how they were all going down there. And they asked Father Bob if he could give them general absolution. Because he didn't know, they didn't know, the firefighters didn't know if they were going to come back. They didn't know what they were getting into. And so obviously Father Bob gave them absolution and the firefighters went down. And about half of them never returned. Those men gave their lives trying to help other people. And in the wake of those attacks, there was so much uh, confusion. There was so much fear. And what is so strange is that, you know, those who planned those attacks that morning believed that they were religiously motivated. They honestly believed that they were punishing the Western world because of the sins we have committed. They described themselves as angels of God's justice. Because for them, God was a God of justice. A God who would, in a sense, strike, but would not heal. A God who would wound and never cover up again. A God who basically said, you get one chance, and so you better not mess up. Really, it's a God of no mercy, a God of justice. And I wonder sometimes if, is that how we view God? So oftentimes as a priest, I hear people will say, God can forgive everybody else, everything but not me, not what I have done or where I have been. And so is that how we view God? Because if it is, then we will find ourselves in serious trouble. We will literally be digging a hole that we will not be able to get out of. Besides our two friaries in the Bronx, we also have a house in, in Harlem, right on 142nd Street in Broadway. And I've lived at that house a few times over the past 13 years. And in this friary, we have this beautiful, beautiful apostolate. It's very simple. Basically, once a week, we cook lunch and we just open our doors. And all of the poor, 
all the homeless, all of our friends in the neighborhoods we live in, because we live in very poor areas, come in and have lunch together. It's very beautiful. We have a reading from the scriptures, we pray together, and then everyone sits down and has lunch. And the miraculous thing is, there's never been a fight. There's almost been a few. But there's never, it's never actually come to fists. And when I was living there a few years ago, there was this woman who would sometimes come pretty regularly, and then she would disappear for a while, and come back again, and then disappear. And then her name was, at least what she told us, her name was Star. That was kind of her street name, because she was homeless, she was poor, and in order to make money, she was a prostitute, because she had a very serious drug addiction that she had to pay for. And this woman would come to our friary, and she would never be able to look at us in the eye. She would ring the doorbell, and she'd come in, and she'd always have her face down on the ground. We'd always try to say, you know, hello, Star, how you doing? Good to see you. God bless you. Try to get her to make some eye contact. But she could never do it. She would just come in, sit in a corner and eat, and then leave. The reason why I bring up these two, what seems like extreme examples, is because it points to the fact that we're all probably aware of, that there is something wrong with the world. You know, all we have to do really is turn on the news. Most of the news is bad news. And God only knows what that woman, Star, has been through in her life. Probably more than I can even imagine that would lead her to such extremes. But really, if we think about it, at the center of all of this human drama, whether it's 9-11, whether it's this woman, whether it's our own lives, whether it's what we see and hear on the news, At the center of this drama is a three-letter word that quite honestly is very unpopular. It's the word sin. You know, what is sin? You know, the problem is sometimes if you ask certain people what sin is, they'll pretty much tell you that everything is a sin. Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do is a sin. And then other people will say, well, nothing's a sin. And really, like all things, truth is in the middle. And the Catechism has really a great definition, a very simple definition of what sin is. 
It says that sin is a deliberate thought, word, deed, or omission contrary to the eternal law of God. Let me just say that again. It says sin is a deliberate thought, word, deed, or omission contrary to the eternal law of God. You know, God, in creating us, in creating our world, established a certain order, a certain harmony to the world. And every time that we sin, whether it is something like telling a lie, or whether it is something as extreme as as murder, we disrupt that harmony. Well, obviously, there are sins that are greater than the others. So telling a lie certainly is not equal to murder. But what every sin has in common is selfishness. Because sin is a choice by which we basically say, I don't need you, God. I'm going to do things my way. Sin, obviously, hurts God. We're all aware of that. But what I don't think we recognize sometimes is that sin hurts us. Look at our world. Sin makes us less than human. That woman, Lisa, who came to our friary, was unable to look at another human being in the face. How sad is that? That somewhere in the depths of that woman was basically a little girl who was scared, who was alone, and who had made some very bad decisions in her life. And what is, in a sense, comforting for all of us is that we are all sinners. You know, a few months ago, Pope Francis was doing an interview And the reporter sat down with Pope Francis, and the first question he asked him, he said, tell me who Pope Francis is. Do you remember what he said? He said, I am a sinner. That knowledge is not supposed to make us sad. It's not supposed to make us hate ourselves to think that we are the worst creatures ever. But it simply points to a fact about our human condition, that each one of us is broken, that we are in need of God. That just like St. Paul who says, 
I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I should do. You know, the very first words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, he says, repent and believe in the Gospel. What profound words Jesus is saying. What does it mean to repent? Basically, it means to turn, turn ourselves around, to stop going in one direction and to go into another direction. Jesus is basically saying to us, turn away from your selfishness. Turn away from your self-obsession. Turn away from your fear that causes you to do bad things. Turn away from your anxiety that you are alone. And believe in the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so Jesus is calling us to turn away from ourselves and to go into the direction of his love, the good news of the gospel. If you remember last night, I, was, I spoke about St. Francis. If you remember, he's the best saint there is. But when Francis started, he called his order the Order of Penitence. Because St. Francis was so aware of his own inner confusion. He was so aware of the fact that he didn't always do what he was supposed to do. He was so aware of the fact that like everyone else, he was a sinner too. And what pained the heart of Francis was that so many people he would just walk around and see were completely unaware of their need for God. And so St. Francis, one of the reasons why he began his order is because he said he wanted to do penance for all the people who didn't do penance, for all the people who ignored God. Why would Francis do that? Because he knew that God's heart was not a heart of stone. He knew that God was not just a God of justice, but that like all of us, our hearts can melt, they can soften when people approach us in love or seeking forgiveness. And Francis knew this because he knew Jesus. Pope Francis says it so beautifully. He says, Jesus Christ is the face of the Father's mercy. And he reminds us that mercy has become living and visible in Jesus. According to those who were involved in those attacks on 9-11, God's judgment has already been laid down. It's pretty much over for all of us. 
But the good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news of, of Christianity, the good news that Jesus brings, the good news that really liberates us, is that, yes, God is concerned about justice, but he's also concerned about mercy. That, yes, God is certainly wounded by our sins, but that he also forgives us when we cry out to him. Yes, sin hurts us as human beings. But it's God's grace, God's mercy, that heals us and that restores us. You know, sometimes what sin does to us is it almost makes us, in a sense, handicapped. It's almost as if if we, especially if we have unconfessed sin in our lives, it's almost like we're walking around in a wheelchair or we're walking around in crutches, spiritually. And what God's mercy does is it comes and it heals us and it enables us to sort of let go of the crutches, to let go maybe of the wheelchair, and maybe for the first time in our lives, be able to walk upright. You know, Martin Luther believed one time, he said this about the human person. He said that basically all of us, what we are like, this is a little bit earthy here, but what he said is all of us really are like a pile of dung. And that God's grace is like snow that just covers over us. What a depressing outlook. <laughs> That's terrible. The poor guy must have been really suffering with self-hate or something. That is not at all the Catholic position. That's not at all what Catholic theology teaches. Catholic theology teaches quite the opposite. It teaches that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And we are made good. No one is created evil. Certainly we choose evil at times, we choose the wrong, but we are created good. And yes, even though sin and sometimes our bad decisions and choices weighs us down, it's God's grace that lifts us back up again and restores us. And I think the best example of this in the scriptures is the parable of the prodigal son. A parable that we all probably know very well. But it's an extremely beautiful parable about the mercy of God. What happens in that parable? A man has two sons. And one of the sons is restless. He's bored with his life with his family. And he tells his father to give him his inheritance which is basically telling his father, from now on, my family is dead to me. Because the only time he would get an inheritance is when his father died. And so he goes to his father and says, give me your, my inheritance. I am done with this family. I am done with you. 
And what does he do? He goes off and he wastes his money on things that don't satisfy, on things that leave him depressed, on things that leave him feeling alone and without hope. He basically goes out and wastes his entire life. And then in a moment of grace, he realizes that he can go back to his father, that he can go back to his family. And as he begins his journey home, it's so beautiful to watch the father because the father sees his younger son coming from a distance. And imagine, how would you feel if you were that father? And this child of yours who basically just said, you're dead to me. How would you feel if you saw your son coming back home? The scripture says that when the father sees his son returning, that he runs out to him and embraces him, kisses him, clothes him in his finest robe. He puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and he has a calf slaughtered and celebrates with a feast. He throws a party at this son who basically just said, I hate you, when he returns home. And if you remember when the older son gets mad, what is the reason that the father says that they're having this celebration? He says, because this son of mine was dead and he has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. It is the mercy of the father that restored his younger son, that brought him back to life. And that's a beautiful parable that gives us an insight into the way God is. That this is who God is. And this is how God acts when we return to him. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't look in the opposite direction in disgust. But he runs out to greet us. Because God is all about life. What would the just thing do? Or what would the just thing to do be in this situation? You know, the son has abandoned his family. He has swallowed up his property, the scripture says, with prostitutes. Does this son deserve compassion? Does he deserve a ring on his finger or a party? The answer is, of course, no. Yet God gives him and us not what he deserves, but in a sense what he doesn't deserve. Mercy, a second chance, and then a third chance, and then a fourth chance, and on and on and on. Because God loves us so much, he is willing to forgive us so much. And sometimes, you know, we talk about this, we talk about forgiveness a lot. And sometimes, because we talk about it a lot, it can lose its beauty. It can lose its depth. But Pope Francis says that the mercy of God is his loving concern for each one of us. 
and that God desires our well-being. He wants to see us happy, full of joy, and peaceful. How beautiful is that? God wants to see us happy. He wants to see us full of joy. He wants us, in a sense, to get up from the the wheelchair, the crutches that we, in a sense, have placed ourselves in. But how can the prodigal son, how can us, how can we become happy? How can we become joyful and peaceful again? By receiving the mercy of the Father. Jesus has these beautiful words in the book of Revelation. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is knocking every moment of our lives at the door of our hearts. But like a gentleman, he doesn't force his way in. He simply waits for us to open the door and allow him to come in. If this is true about God's mercy, then I think the next question is, how do I experience this mercy? Because if this is true, I need this in my life. Not just one time, not just once a year, but I need it regularly. Because I want to be brought to health. Not just physical health, as good as that is. But I want to be able to walk upright. I want to be the person God intended me to be. And thankfully, God has given us such a concrete, real way to experience his mercy. You know, on Easter night in the Gospel of John, after Jesus has appeared to the disciples, who were completely terrified at everything that had just had happened, The scripture says that Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says these very mysterious words, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. We've always understood that passage to mean that the disciples were the very first priests who were ordained just days before on Holy Thursday. And that now Jesus is giving them, these broken, sinful men, he's giving them the power to forgive sins. Not in their name, but in his name. And in the Catholic Church, we understand that all the way from the very beginning of the Apostles, 
The apostles ordained others to become priests and to become bishops, and that line has followed perfectly since the time of Jesus. And we have always understood that to mean that Jesus here is giving the apostles, the first priests, the first bishops, the authority to forgive sins. It's not because they were particularly holy. And the same is true today with priests. It's not because they are the most intelligent or the holiest, except Father Rod in the back. (laughs) But it's simply because God in his mercy has called these priests to this extraordinary ministry. Oftentimes, an argument is, I don't need a priest to confess my sins to, that I can pray privately and I could ask for forgiveness. The obvious answer to that is, well, of course you can do that. And of course you should do that. We all should confess our sins to God privately. But by not going to confession, we miss out on the grace that is there. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is not something that the church has made up. The church didn't just make this up sometime in the Middle Ages and say, oh, wouldn't it be great you know, to, as a good way to really humiliate people by having them confess their sins to a priest? You know, some people actually think these things. But it all comes from the scriptures. That this is the way, in a sense, that Jesus has set his church up. You know, everything about our faith is incarnational. Meaning that, you know, God is not abstract. He uses bread and wine to become his body and blood. It's something that we can see, taste, and touch. He uses water at baptism to give us new life. And in confession, he gives us the words of absolution that the priest says. All for the intention of making God more real to us, more accessible, more close to us, so that we don't live in this illusion that God is someone who is so far away. By going to confession to a priest takes a great amount of humility, which is not a bad thing. Every one of us needs a lot of humility. But when we go to confession, we confess to a priest. St. Faustina says this so beautifully. You're not confessing to a man. You're confessing to Jesus, who is the priest. And oftentimes people ask, how often should I go to confession? I think a very basic standard is, I would say, at least every month. And the reason is, why not? We take care of ourselves physically. We eat three meals a day. We take care of our bodies. Why not our souls? And unfortunately, there's probably some of you who've had a bad experience in confession. You know, priests can be jerks too. 
And if that's ever happened to you, then I apologize. I am deeply sorry that that has happened. But please, don't stay away from the sacrament of confession because of the sins of of human beings. The mercy of God is too good. The mercy of God needs to be something that we are experiencing regularly. Because living in the world, especially in today's culture, is so difficult. There is this rising tide that seems to be getting bigger and bigger, that is pretty much going against us, that's going against Christianity, it's going against our faith. And if we don't, in a sense, stand up and actively live our faith, that wave is just going to wash us over, and we're going to be knocked down. And every time we come to confession, it's almost like we're making a choice to stand up again, to rely on the grace of God. As you all know, Pope Francis has declared this year a year of mercy. And it's really a beautiful opportunity for the church. I mean, what does it mean? Does it mean that mercy hasn't existed now until this year? Of course not. But what Pope Francis is doing is he's trying to point the church in this direction. That for this year particularly, but obviously for the whole time of the church, we are really focusing in and highlighting on this incredible mercy of God. Pope Francis has such a wonderful, deep understanding of the poverty of our brokenness. And even more than Pope Francis, God has a complete love and a sensitivity to our human brokenness. One of the church fathers says so beautifully that the church is not a hotel for saints, but that it is a hospital for sinners. What each and every one of us here have in common is that we are all sinners. None of us here are perfect. And yet every one of us is loved by God. And every one of us is invited to bring our poverty, to bring our weakness, to bring our struggles to the mercy of God, where every single time we are guaranteed freedom. You're guaranteed at the beginning of new life. Every time we go to confession, it's almost as if new life has been breathed into our very being. And so I strongly encourage you, take advantage of this beautiful sacrament. The sacrament is the place where we meet God, where His grace is there waiting for us. And there is nothing more than we need especially in these days, in a regular encounter with the beautiful mercy of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.